Brock on. All right. Let's roll. I'm going to keep it short today. <laughs> oh, Brock, come on, man. This is church. This is the place where we lie to encourage each other. Come on. No. Uh, all right. But, uh, but before I get rolling, I just, wanna, I just wanted to uh, throw out this little admonition. This morning, I'll be talking about justification. And there, right there, that. The second we start to use these, you know, these 25 cents, you justification, sanctification, glorification. The second we start to use those words, the eyes roll back. And you completely check out. And don't tell me you don't, because I do. I do. I'm putting the message together, and I'm like, justification, it's right And you start thinking about, oh, what's for lunch? What are we going to do? Some of you are thinking, oh, man, we were going to go out to lunch, but I'm dressed in my PJs. Do it. You will make people so jealous. They'll all be sitting there going, why can't, why can't we go to lunch in our PJs? And you just tell them, Jesus made me do it. Bam! Perfect witnessing tool. But I want to tell you, I want you to encourage you to not check out. Uh, this week, next week, following week, um, I'm, I'm sure as we prepare our messages, we are all doing our utmost to ensure that, you know, we're taking these big nebulous, you know, what does that even mean terms? And we're distilling them into their simplest form. So, you know, it's not something we have to struggle with. But at the same time, remember, we are in the middle of a series about what does it mean to believe. And if you, as you sit here this morning, count yourself a follower of Christ, you are saying, I understand all these terms, and I am in agreement with them, and they play an active role in my life. If you are trying to roll through life as a Christian and you don't know what these terms are, and you don't know what they mean, and you're not necessarily on board with them, you might want to reevaluate a few things. And I'm going to encourage you to reevaluate a few things as the morning rolls on. But that's the admonition. Justification. Can I get my first slide? Got some examples here. And as they're up here, you could feel free to like read the verses. I'm going to come back to them later. But that's some good stuff. Paul kind of knew what he was doing. This paragraph right here is justified. And it has been, oh, it's the same thing there. Right justified. This is a right justified Christ. You're all familiar, you know Word documents, right? Well, I see. You could all pipe up when I said I was going to be short. But when I asked an actual question, nobody got anything to say. All right. This is a document that uh, this paragraph has been right justified. Everything lines up on the right, left. Yeah, I'm backwards from backwards left. It's justified on that side. And that side is your right side. So I was trying to be kind to you. Forget that. Uh, can I get the next slide? This is the same paragraph. You can continue to read. Center justified. Very good. You guys are starting to see where I'm going with this. And the next one? Same paragraph. This one's right. On the right-hand side, the right edge, justified. And the last one? 
fully justified. All right, so you see what justified is here? It's lined up. In, in maybe its simplest terms, justifying is about being in line with. This document right here is fully justified, meaning that on both sides of the document, it's, it's notice how like they're perfectly, there's no jagged indents or a sentence ends here, but over there, it just, it's perfectly straight and it looks good. And, kids, when you have to type up a, a, a project, go for fully justified because it, it expands your spacing a little bit. And if, you know, if the teacher wants like, you know, two pages, this could easily turn, you know, a page and a, a, a three quarters into two full pages. Keep that in mind, the more you know. <laughs> now you know, and knowing is half the battle. We all do that. I'm, I'm afraid you guys are just not going to get anything today. All right, so that's where we commonly think of as justification. Justification is the process of being justified. Uh, to be in line with. Right justified, everything on the right is in line. Left justified, everything on the left is in line. Uh, a couple other common usage of, uh, of justified that we get in the news too often these days are the justified use of force. All too often we see in the news stories where there was a thing that happened and the police were involved and the police required to use force of one kind or another, uh, whether it be uh, physical force, uh, taser, actual use of their firearm. When an officer is involved in that sort of thing, there's going to be an investigation later to determine if that use of force was justified. Officer, was your use of force in line with the standard we have set to do that? And then the other one is justifiable homicide. That's a term we have, it's actually a thing, which means if you killed somebody and you killing somebody is in line with the rules, the regulations, the laws, the caveats, the this and that and the other, that we as a just society have set forth governing this, this issue, you are justified. If somebody comes into your home with a gun and is going to do terrible things to you and you shoot them, our, our law, our society has determined that is a justified use of force, that is a justifiable homicide. It is in line with the standards we have set. So every time justified, justification, justification is the process of justifying and it all comes down to being in line with something. All right? Just keep that in mind. Now, Ephesians 2.10, 2, 1 through 10. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know, oh, I'm sorry, no, no, I want to save this. That's the other one. Uh, so let's go to this one. This one centers justified. And by chance, I didn't, I, I messed it up, Hunter. Do we have the ESV instead of the ASV? I don't know what the ASV is. That could be the actual satanic verse. I don't, I don't know. I'm not going to trust it because I don't know. 
see, see the PJ thing this morning. Just tossed me. I'm just, bam. Oh, you got there first. Cool, that's better. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Um, I'm going too fast. Come on. Yes, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's just, that's cool. I mean, admittedly, we're talking about the devil, but the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Alright, stop right there. That just laid out for you. This is how you used to be. You used to be enslaved to the human nature. You were a slave to a sin nature that we inherited from all the way back to the beginning. The garden, the tree, Adam and Eve, sin entered into this world and was passed down generation to generation, uh, parents to children, all the way through and infected like a disease all of mankind. Nobody in this world save Jesus, has ever been born without a sin nature. And this sin nature is the one, that's the thing that eternally separates us from God. We all come into this world, one, with a sin nature, and two, in separation from God. Which is not a condition we want to live in. And it sure is not a condition we want to die in. And something had to be done. But, verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have been raised up. You need to stop right there. We have been raised up from this sin nature, from this separation with God, to sit in God's presence with Jesus. We had a broken nature. We were separated from God. But then it got fixed. And now we're not separated anymore. This is the core of the good news. That is the core of the gospel. We were lost, but now we are found. We were broken, but now we're mended. We were separated, but now we are embraced by a loving father. But the work for this was done by him. And we're coming back to that. Uh, verse 7, please. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, 
so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Here's that same scripture in the message paraphrase. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing, when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraces us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now God has us where he wants us, with all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's gifts God from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does. The good work he has gotten ready for us to do. Work we had better be doing. In its broadest sense, justification is a legal term which means acquittal. And I want you to think about this. Actually, feel free if, you, if you're one of those folks that you know, creates you know, the mental movie in your mind as, as you're reading. Go ahead and close your eyes and picture this. Picture the courtroom scene from whatever, whatever movie you love that has a courtroom scene. Um, a Few Good Men. My Cousin Vinny. <laughs> Miracle on 34th Street. Every episode of Law and Order, which I've seen 37 times each. Picture the courtroom. God sits where the judge sits. Jesus sits off to the side where the defense sits. There you are, standing in the center of the courtroom as the devil walks slow circles around you. Lord, he says, for even the devil has to be respectful to God. This one of yours is rife with sin. It is a sinful, lost, broken, disobedient creation. This one is a liar and a cheat. A thief. Full of lust and greed, and anger, and jealousy, and gossip. Nothing about this child of yours falls in line with your standard for justice, righteousness, or holiness. 
This one is guilty. On your own, you have no defense. Because on your own, every single word of that is true. And in that moment, were there nothing else but your good works, whatever that might look like, to offer up, God would have no choice but to find you guilty and condemn you. He would have no choice but to say, everything said about you, my child, is true. Depart from me, you evildoer. I have nothing to do with you. But God doesn't do that. God just kind of looks over to the other table. And there's Jesus. And Jesus stands up and says, Father, this one's mine. Father, this one is with me. Father, this is my friend. This is my brother. This is my sister. This is the one I went to the cross for. This is the one I died for. And this is the one who put their faith in me to take care of them in the last life and this one. This one's mine. And in that moment, God says, you, my child, are justified. You, my child, are in line with all my standards for goodness and righteousness and holiness you are mine. You are in line. You are okay. And I acquit you of every charge made against you. That's what justification is. And if you have come to a point in your life, you look back down the road you've traveled, and you can see that moment where you gave your life over to Christ. You made a conscious decision to say, you know what? I'm a messed up individual. I've made mistakes. I'm going to make more mistakes, and I'm going to be stupid, and I'm probably going to make mistakes on purpose. But starting right now, I'm living life with Jesus because he died for me. You have been justified. God looks at you and says, you, my child, are holy and righteous, and you are with me. And see, See, the problem we run into is that we can't accept a yes. We, we, we always want to trade the win for a loss because we want to come back and revisit the issue. And we want to come back and say, I don't know, man. I just, I'm so bad. I'm so rotten. And we want to come back and we want to, we want to judge ourselves. Because we look at what God did and we go, you know what? That was just too easy. You know what? Easy for you, yeah. Easy for God and Jesus? Not so much. But every time you come back in your mind and you begin to judge yourself anew, you are putting yourself as a higher court than God himself. And you are saying, God, your judgment was faulty. Because I find fault where you didn't. 
If you sit here this morning and you continue to judge yourself on your mistakes and your flaws and your weaknesses, stop. Literally, for the love of God, stop it. Because every time you do that, that's the devil talking. He's still walking those circles around you. He's still whispering in your ear. You know what? I don't care what Jesus did. I don't care what Jesus did. You're still broken. You're still a thief. You're still that same piece of garbage you were before. And every time you entertain those thoughts, you buy into the lie he's selling. So I want to tell you again, for the love of God, stop. Because you have been justified. And God finds no wrong in you. And that would be one place to leave it, but there's just one more thing I want to bring in here. I want you to think about this, because it comes up a lot. This, this seems to be a, a contention between faith and works. You say you have faith, and I say I have works, and let's put my work up against my faith, and yeah, well, I have faith and work, and if it's all free, if I don't have to work for it, if there's nothing I can do to get myself in good with God, I can't buy my justification. I can't repay my justification. Then why work? What's the work about? Why are these things which aren't supposed to go together tied together? Because this. Galatians Chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. That was me. Yeah, okay. I have been crucified with Christ. You were cru That is when you chose to accept the justification of Jesus. You became crucified with him. You died on the cross along with Jesus and were made new. You were reborn. You were regenerated. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And 21. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And if we could go back one. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. If you have been justified, if you have accepted Christ, the sacrifice he made on the cross, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. If Christ is living in you and you are no longer living in yourself, how can there not be works? Again, let's make the mental picture. Me, personally, I drop dead right now. Boom! I'm dead. I'm a corpse laying on the stage. And I've done this one before, and I don't know if anybody likes it, but it paints the picture. 
My bag of bones is just laying here. Not yet starting to rot, but obviously dead. Jesus comes walking along. Sees that dead body and says, you know what? Halloween's coming up. I know what I'm going as. Jesus puts me on like a giant Halloween costume. Just like Halloween. Now it's Jesus walking around in a Jason costume. How can that version of Jason not do good work? If it's Jesus who lives inside and not me who lives inside, how can they not do good works? If it's not me who lives in here but Jesus, how can I not be faithful in my time, my talents, and my treasures? If it's not me who lives in here but Jesus who lives in here, how can I not spend time with God in prayer and Bible reading, study, meditation, and fasting. If it's not me who lives in here, but Jesus who does, how can I not move my life into a place with a body of believers where I am learning to love and serve and live life together? All of those things are the things that Jesus did. And if he is the one who lives in here, he continues to do those things through me. The question is, if you are a believer, you define yourself as a Christ follower, and you don't do these things, why? Are you the one case in all of recorded history where Jesus said to himself, you know what? In this one instance, I'm going to kick back. I don't feel like doing that stuff anymore. I'm going to take a little me time. I'm not going to go to church. I'm going to sleep in. If God's work is not coming out of you, is God, in fact, in you? See, that's part of justification. We took on the righteousness of Christ. He lives in me. And if he lives in me, it's going to be evident in what I do. And it should be evident in what you do. And if it is not evident in what you do, you need to have a conversation with yourself. Because there is no biblical justification for being a Christ follower who does not do the things doesn't so if you would I'd like you to close your eyes as I close this out in prayer and I think there's there's maybe three different groups I kind of want to talk to this morning as you sit here this morning maybe you've never come to that point where you accepted that it was only Jesus that makes you right with God. Maybe you're just counting on being a good person and doing good things and
and trying to be the best you can and trying to make an impact on your world and trying to be kind to those around you. And those are all good things, but none of those will ever amount to covering the debt you owe. You simply cannot be justified on your own. It is and only ever will be a work done by God. So if as you sit here this morning, that's your condition, and you're thinking, you know what? It's time for me to stop working in vain. It's time for me to stop trying to buy my way into heaven. It's time for me to give it over to Jesus. I want you to just take this moment. Nobody looking. Everybody's eyes are closed. Their heads are bowed. Take this moment, just stand up. Stand up and say, Jesus, I'm all yours. All right, as you sit here this morning, if you're one, who has, even though you know better, but you're trying to do the right things for the wrong reasons, you're constantly about the work of God, trying to, trying to pay back that debt that you can't pay back. There's nothing you can do. If you lived for a million years, you could not accumulate enough good works to offset what Jesus did for you. But if you just feel like you're working to pay off that debt, and it's wearing on you, and you're not feeling the peace of God, the goodness of God, and you just want to stop. You just want to stop and say, thank you. Raise your hand. And then finally, in your heart of hearts, you know you made that decision. You know you've been justified, but for some reason, the work doesn't seem to flow. All those things of Jesus that Jesus would do in your place just don't seem to happen. If you are ready to, to not just avoid hell, but to live in heaven right here and now, giving it all over to Jesus and being faithful and obedient in all that he calls you to. See, that's what grows a church. Not a lot of people, but big Christians. And it has always been our goal to have a church of big Christians People who say, you know what, it's not me who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And you are ready for Christ to live in you as he has never done before. I want you to raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. I see you back there. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful morning, this opportunity to gather together. 
to support our kids, to show them that life with God is, is fun. There can be a good time in living life with Christ. I thank you for speaking to us through, through worship, through the word, through our brothers and sisters that you brought here this morning. I just pray that as we, as we go from here, Father, your word, in, in whichever form it was received, would be a seed that has landed on good soil, and you would take that word, you would take that seed, and you would nurture it, you would grow it in us, Father, and that none of us would leave here without having heard something specific to our lives from you. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May you live in the, the peace and the assurance of being fully in line with God. And may it be our common prayer that each day there would be more of Jesus and less of us. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.